0: Welcome to Human Leadership, a podcast full of science backed, practical knowledge and insight, designed to help anyone who leads people unleash the human talent we need for the next era of work. I'm Suzanne Jacobs, an organisational behaviour and performance expert who's worked as part of our senior leadership teams for over 30 years and conducted more than a decade of research into the neurobiological drivers of intrinsic motivation and trust. In each episode of Human Leadership, I'll take you through what you'll need to make your workplace human fit. And to help me along the way, I've roped in my sister, Chloe, a brilliant educationalist who also knows just a thing or two about leadership. And together, we'll guide you through everything you need to know to become a better human leader. In this episode, we'll be discussing the realm of hybrid, remote, and flexible working, what they are, why true flexible working is fundamental for human motivation, performance, and well-being, and some top tips on flexing your working muscles successfully when incorporating remote and hybrid working.
1: Hey, Chloe. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well, thank you. I'm having fun designing a new story time chair for Amy's room. I'm really enjoying the process, but do wish I could draw so much better than I can. I think my sketches are so bad, they need to be labelled.
0: Is this, is this a chair you're going to make?
1: Yes, yeah, for my woodworking course, yeah. Oh,
0: brilliant. Yeah, Not too
1: talented, that's what you is. Yeah, I know. I'm all oh, over it. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, that's so That's <laughs> nice. brilliant. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. I'm excited about it. Anyway, uh, we are talking about remote, hybrid, and flexible working today. Three words with different meanings for work, and three words that have become forefront in the way we are working, or at least trying to work since our experiences through the pandemic. Just so I'm clear, what are the differences between these ways of working?
0: it's uh, a good question, and they can be, you know, mixed and matched. Um, Without perhaps necessarily understanding the difference between them. Um, just really simply, remote working is working away from or at a distance from others. So, as example, at home, hybrid working is, is, is location. So it's the mixture of location. So maybe between home and, and office and flexibility is the umbrella term, really. It's the combination. It's the, Uh, It's the where and when work gets done, which will include hybrid working in terms of location, remote working. Um, And one of the things I would say, though, is none of these are new. And in fact, the idea of flexible working dates back to 1960. It came from a, a German management consultant and was first implemented by a German aerospace firm in 1967. And I think that's really important to recognize is that, you know, decades on, we are still talking about flexible working, remote working, work life balance, perhaps not quite so much hybrid working. That's something that's perhaps, that's come out just recently, but we've, we've not really cracked it. We talk a lot about it, but we've not really cracked it. And, for me, these approaches, these words, these approaches to work have been catapulted. They've been amplified to the forefront of our mind, like you were saying, because of the enforced remote working experience through the pandemic. But before COVID sent us packing from our workplaces, I'd worked for many organizations over the years to just really help them understand a true flexible working I'd provide the health economics I'd provide the tools to do so but without fail and with absolute guarantee there every project whether it be big or small had resistance if I'd heard from a manager once you know if I can if they're working from home how do I know they're working or from an employee uh, if I ask for flexibility, am I likely to be seen as less committed? If I've heard them once, I've heard them a thousand times. And and there are many more alike as well. But what all these sentences did for me as we investigated, as we explored them, we put, you know, we put them on the table and we looked and we examined these, these myths which have surrounded terms um, such as hybrid, remote, flexible working. Of course, good old work-life balance that we were just mention- mentioning. They've really got in the way. They've really hindered the proper implementation of a of an autonomous working environment. And when you test these myths and these beliefs, most of them just tend to fall away and what they tend to reveal are the fears underneath the fears perhaps of losing leadership control maybe or losing traction in a, in a career path they they signal threat
1: i i i actually am still dumbfounded that this was originally what I thought about in 1960 that's that's insane mm-hmm. but through through the pandemic we've clearly shown the ability to work from home with actually many examples of productivity actually rising but do you think that some of those myths and fears are still around
0: oh they definitely are they are they absolutely are as we as we record this we're we're in this transitional phase of going back into the the office and our workplaces um but i'm i'm still hearing a lot of them but they have they have shifted and what i really want to be really clear about is that we are we are so much further forward. I would never, of course, have chosen a global pandemic to have been a catalyst, but it has afforded a unique insight, a unique opportunity to reshape the way we work for the better. And I'm not just talking a bit better here, I'm talking a real shift, a real shift in the partnership between employer and employee to much more of a symbiotic one. So often, um, rather than a symbiotic relationship and partnership, we've seen toxic relationships where the employee is sort of subservient, if you like, to the employer's rules and demands around ways of working. And it's always fascinated me that Even with things like flexible working policies that are bought in, unintentionally, they end up being almost a strangling list of rules that instead of empowering through choice, actually end up quashing autonomy. And it's they're bought in as these rules, often because of the fear of maybe a recalcitrant employee. But I think what we have to be really careful about is how we rebuild new ways of working. It's not just about stop one and start another. There were some great things around how we were working and there are some even better ways of enhancing it. And there are some things we need to let go and stop doing so that we really enable the adults. And, I, and that's a, a, you know, a a formative word in their adults, the adults we have employed to be able to exercise choice on how they deliver their talents, you know, the talents we've employed them for and how they connect to their teams. Flexibility, true flexibility is such a, such a much more natural way for social groups to interact and innovate because we don't need to be forced to connect. As social creatures, we need to connect and given the freedom to do so, we find ways to be able to connect to our teams. And I think ultimately, flexible working, which includes, of course, remote and hybrid working and options. What it really comes down to, and the understanding at its base level is around affording choice, autonomy and influence about how we can integrate the most important elements of our lives which of course includes meaningful work and that choice autonomy influence and a sense of control over our day these are all absolutely critical elements for our well-being our psychological safety intrinsic motivation and and our performance and it, ultimately it's why flexible true flexible working is a core and major performance
1: factor. You said about treading carefully. How do we make sure we build ways of working that supports both performance and health? Yeah, I I think
0: it's something that we have to just be really aware of. um, It's not just cold turkey and start all over again. There There are a lot of things that we have to be really aware of. And there are things that we can actively embed to create really healthy Human workplaces, human fit workplaces. We obviously don't have time to go into everything, um, but I I really, if you're up for it, I'd love to share just some of the tips around um, healthy ways of remote, hybrid, flexible working that I know make a huge difference. And one of the first for me is recognizing, particularly when we're working remotely, is that we have to be really careful about blurring our boundaries because interestingly enough, we don't work less at home. We tend to overwork and we can get to that point where we're working more hours and we have this sort of increased feeling of no stopping, that there's no gaps um and there's no sort of transition spaces between work or home or or perhaps you know other aspects of our lives it's interesting when we look at the commute for example the commute to the workplace however long or short it did create some bookends and often offices and other workspaces had their loose structures and routines that happened when we were there, but of course can really disappear when we're working on our own. And for me, this is where routine can help. These small routines that create certainty, a sense of predictability and structure and framework to our day. And when we've got that peppered through our day, it conserves energy and it increases psychological safety. Now, just want to confirm that routine is not about creating an unbreakable rigid framework, um, but it's it's a bit like having things that sort of pop into our day that we deliberately bring in that allow us to recharge and reset, but they also establish boundaries. Variety is great, of course, and challenge to the right level is a good thing, but routine helps to ground us it supports our well-being. It uses less cognitive energy because it, it brings us back to what we know, which means that there's no real heavy lifting in the thinking required. So we can conserve the energy to be able to tackle the challenges in the in the rest of our day and, and at work. But it provides that sense of comfort and supports our well-being. It could be anything from a simple coffee at a familiar time. It's, it's just enough to just reset and recharge us. So. I think the key here is that routine is not only comforting, it provides a framework, but it can also help us to establish these transition gaps to help us manage our our, our boundaries between elements in our life. So, you know, between work, family or, or, or leisure. So it can be simple things that signal to the brain that you're moving from one realm to another. So it could be you could close the screen down, you could deliberately sign off to your team. Um the, the simple act of shutting the door, you know, on your workspace if you're if you're working at home, just allows us to create that, that gap. And and psychologists call these boundary activities, and they they're really crucial to support our performance and well-being, and they place a mental space. Between realms.
1: Does this help with the groundhog day of working remotely?
0: It can um, for me, but I think this is really important that working purely remotely is definitely not for everybody. In fact, very few individuals are really happy doing so all of the time. It's part of a way we can work that we can add into our toolkit that can really help us perhaps with focused work or concentrated work helps us with integrating the important stuff in our lives. Like I said, but we've got to be really careful that we don't cut ourselves off as well. And that's, that's really how hybrid working can really help to make us really think about where work is done and to be able to give ourselves the option to change our location. And, and of course, to give ourselves the, the, the chance of, of being with our team maybe once a week or twice a week, whatever whatever works really.
1: Ah, oh, okay. I'm hearing the word choice again. You've said about connection and our need for it. What about working remotely? That, doesn't that by default actually break the connection? I know a lot of pushback about working away from the office is about how we may actually lose this. Yeah, it's a really good point
0: and one that we need to I think we've sort of mentioned it through through this sort of conversation really, but about how much we we need to connect We don't we don't just want to belong we long to belong. I've said it before in, in our previous conversations inclusion isn't just a nice to have it's it's absolutely critical and imperative for our performance and our health. We're social creatures. We need others to thrive, and it's something we have to be so aware of when we're working remotely. But we can and do connect through multiple channels. You know, social media wouldn't work. I know there's the sort of the downsides of social media, but ultimately, the connection it does work when we use it, enable it properly. So, remote connection does work. But I think we have to be so careful that thinking about times that when as a team you get together is to spend a bit of time doing just that, being together. Because working remotely, we know can dampen empathy simply because the brain it doesn't create such a strong connection with the other when we're, you know, when we're physically together, we get a, a lot more of the social cues and emotional contagion, not so much when we're working remotely and connecting, you know, via screens. But we can get uh, something I call a connection injection, which lasts and it can be carried with you for when you're not actually working in the same location, I always use the analogy of think about that friend. Think about the friend that maybe you see once every six weeks or three months, whatever it might be. And when you get together, you re-cement that connection and you you instill the trust again between the two of you. But you don't have to see each other all the time to to carry that friendship and that relationship with you. But connection is a responsibility. It starts with us. It's something that we all have as a responsibility. And I think one of the things that really helps to create connection is to really, really listen to what's going on in other people's lives, not just about work. To to really learn about your colleague, not not just not just the person you you saw at work or on the on the screen. Because one of the things that interests me around what you were just saying around the pushback around working remotely breaks connection. We often overplay the office as as a place or the only place that we got connection. I don't I don't agree. I think for some it is. I totally agree. But for many, it's, it can be quite an anonymous place that we go to where we don't truly know anything about each other that we work. With on a day to day basis. But in the last 18 months, over the pandemic, we've virtually stepped into our colleagues' worlds, their real worlds, their real lives. We've learned more about each other than perhaps we ever would have done if we'd been in the office and just spent every day with each other. So remember the things that are important to those you work with and just make time to ask about them. This is how we connect. When we understand what's important to the person and we ask about it, we deepen connection and we, um, we b- boost trust. You know, work is not um, the simple completion of a series of tasks. I mean, we have to obviously provide the deliverables, but such an important part is that connection piece and connection and our sense of trust and our connection to others is a vital function of how well we can perform those tasks.
1: I have to admit I'd not heard of zoom eighteen months ago, and now it's a word in everyday conversation but what about combating what is now recognized as zoom fatigue or better put how do we build communication pathways that work for us
0: yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a real thing um um there are there are loads of tips and techniques out there, so just a few of them, because as we move into a more of a mixture, this hybrid working with different locations, we're still going to be using these screens. And do you know what? Thank goodness for them. It's maintained and enabled us to connect over such a difficult time. But we're animals that pick up on social cues for our, our um connection and our understanding and our communication. Um, Now, social cues come from a multiple of stimuli and data points of human interaction. So this could be tone of voice. It could be your body language. It could be those micro expressions, you know, things like the subtle rise of the eyebrow or the, you know, when you get that flicker of acknowledgement across somebody's eyes. Now, it's so much harder on a screen to pick up these natural signals, no matter how much better the technology's got. And I'm sure it's going to get better and better. We'll all be zoomed in as holograms soon into the work- virtual workplace. But we're not there yet. And because we're communicating using the, these online tools, we've got to take it into consideration that they are a lot more taxing and a lot more tiring on our brain. So Where you can, make meetings shorter on task and focused on one or two things. You know, you're better off having a 20-minute meeting focusing on one thing and breaking and coming back than you are trying to bash through 10 different things over an hour and a half on a screen. And I think we've got to be really careful about how we choose the channels as well, picking up on the screens. That is obviously not the only way we can communicate. We've got to be able to use all the communication tools that we have in the way that they were designed to be used and and we're, we're not. We need to think really carefully about the right channel for the I don't know the type of work or the interaction, the impact we need, the conversation that's required. So the rule for me has always been the more emotion involved, the greater the need for visible and tangible social cues. So let's just take email just for a second. Email, as an example, strips out most of how we communicate. It's one dimensional. It's the written word on a screen. It can create huge gaps in misunderstanding. It is only good and is only designed for the factual transfer of information. But we use it for conversation and it's not designed for that. So we've got to think really carefully about how we use our communication tools. And that includes when we need to get together, discussion, debate, uh, performance um, discussions. And I think we've got to also remember that above all, we need to choose to be present. We need to choose to be there we've got to put down these distraction devices the the email the phone while we're logged onto a call anything that tempts us away from really being there at a meeting because for me really listening really communicating is a mindful act we you know we think we can catch up on emails while we're logged into the call it's not true you can't do it your cognitive attention cannot pay attention to more than one thing at a time. Listening is a gift. We can all give it. We can all be responsible and we should value our time and that of our colleagues.
1: What about the old video on or video off conundrum?
0: I know it's it's amazing, isn't it? These things that we didn't even know were problems have uh, risen their heads. Yeah, I think... We've got to be really careful about this when we're connecting via screen with the old video on, video off. And yeah, there's a few things that I think should be considered and discussed with our teams so that we create terms of engagement. And and that what that does is it determines collectively what, what works for you and how you want to connect. So much of how we've we communicating has sort of been these habits that have grown but we haven't actually discussed or debated or even explored them and often they they're harming communication and hindering it not not advancing it and enhancing it so with a screen we can we can hide behind a screen even even when the video is on if if you're a facilitator it's really important to acknowledge everyone use their names Give them space for everyone to speak. But equally, it's also our responsibility to make sure if we're there, we take part. We listen, we focus, we attend. Another element, really, why remote working increases individual accountability. And I would consider switching the video off altogether when it's appropriate because it gives your brain a break. But equally, know when it's good to have the video on. Um, somebody once said to me, we don't go to work with a uh, or into meetings with a paper bag on our head, uh, or we don't go into a meeting and then hide underneath the table hoping no one will actually see us. So it, we need to, when we need real connection with others, it does need these greater social cues. Connection needs visibility, particularly for things like debate, negotiation and discussion. And a couple of other tips that that I've I've learned that really help. Um, if you can switch off self image on video calls, uh, we don't use a mirror when we go into to meetings. Look at the camera, um, not the screen, when you're talking. Easier said than done, I have to say. Um, just as a little tip, my camera has a, a little set of googly eyes on it because I think I'm I can see myself talking to, to someone. I know it sounds strange, but it's really helped me. Um, if your system's got the capability as well, I'd always suggest making sure that the person speaking is um, centre of the screen. And that's simply because, and sometimes the gallery approach is, is is needed, but many faces increases the distraction level and the level of cognitive processing, so it makes it far harder and far more tiring. So there you go. Few, few tips and techniques that I've learned and all of which I've been able to ground back into the science of of communication. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Human Leadership. And if you have time, leave us a review or give us a rating on your podcast app. For more information, go to the dot uk